The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Great champion on Thursday. It's Hale Bar City Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr is in. He looks all geared up to be cheering on the Washington football team based on the color of his hoodie. We'll get to some NFL here about an hour and a half. It is Danny Burke with us from Decent Sports Network. Burke's best bets. Brandon Vogel from Hale Varsity, also in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, great story and uh, rundown on the, the dirty A-word, attrition, with Nebraska football. Damon had to think about that one for a minute. And uh, Gary Barnett in one hour. Uh, a lengthy sit-down on coaching and college football with uh, Gentleman Jim. Uncle Jimbo. Jim Walden going to be with us in about 20 minutes. Excited to spend some time with him. Can join us uh, if you so choose today on Hale Varsity Radio, dial us up. Numbers to get in 466 3776, 466 3776, 800 825 5865. Email chris at hailvarsity.com. Give us a follow on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at Damon Barr. That's two R's for Damon Barr. So, what's on the docket today? We'll Take a look-see into some needs and some wants with the transfer portal that is uh, got college football on fire, supply and demand, and there's always a demand for certain spots, especially if you're Nebraska football, and you tie it into the attrition discussion point. So we'll hit that. Uh, Kevin Warren, the commissioner, sat down with the World Herald. Sam McEwen had a good conversation with Commissioner Warren. Some thoughts on that. And uh, I want to start off, though, with uh, the pride of O'Neill, Nebraska. And uh, it's really cool to see different Nebraskans find their way through the coaching ranks and didn't have uh, a lot of time for it yesterday, but uh, officially announced that LSU is going back to the Joe Brady coaching tree. Of course, uh, you know what happened uh, when that worked out with Brady and, uh, of course, Mr. Burrow, uh, that was epic uh, a year ago for LSU football. So uh, the offense was inconsistent, and that's been a story for a long time with LSU football. They've been a quarterback away from being that level of elite. You see what happens with the wideouts and running game they've always had. They've needed the trigger guy, and that was Joe Burrow. It was, it was fantastic last season. Well, Jake Peets is being uh, tasked with uh, kind of resurrecting the LSU offense. Uh, Nebraska football player was a defensive back 
looking at his age and when he played, probably the Solich Callahan era, reached out to a couple of guys that were teammates uh, with uh, Jake Peets. And the the thing that has come up, and both guys I, I've talked to were uh, were were very a happy for for Jake Peets, uh, the O'Neill native. But B, they just couldn't stop saying great things about Jake Peets. And what's really cool is is what has driven him. And you go through uh, Peets in his coaching resume where, you know, really early out of college, 07, he's, he's an assistant at UCLA. Um, the thing that, that really has given... Uh, Jake a foothold in coaching and, and he's and he spent five years as just an analyst with Saban 13 through 18 and Nick Saban's a guy that you learn a ton from he, he's an incredible coach he is a tack taskmaster he is hard to work for right I mean the dude had a facility built within the football offices so you could go get food and not have to leave for work you know, Nick Saban's, his own process is you jump in the Mercedes, you, you have two little Debbie cream pies, you throw a little bit of red man chaw in, you get to work around 530 and you're grinding, you find your Chi-Chi Rodriguez golf hat, you're out, on, you're out on the coaching practice field and you repeat, you repeat, you repeat, and then maybe you go Sunday for maybe a half hour uh, on the lake in in you know uh, in your boat right and and then oh by the way you have the the next assistant in waiting since your staff constantly gets raided so back to Jake Peets he spent time uh, with uh, Nick Saban at Alabama as an assistant he uh, was able to be a quarterbacks coach for for Oakland for a couple of years uh, was the running backs coach uh, at Carolina when when McCaffrey went off pre-injury and, and that really solidified him. But, but what really got notice of Jake Peets was uh, his time as a GA at UCLA. He worked an entire summer helping rehab Tom Brady. Remember when Brady got dinged? Remember when Brady and New England last missed the playoffs? That's Matt Cass who came in. They went 11-5. Well, when Brady blew his knee, uh, Tom Brady was working exclusively with Jake Peets out in California, uh, out at UCLA. Uh, the thing that is coming up about Jake Peets and, and what he can do for LSU, and you've seen this trend where guys that are in their mid to, to, to late 30s get on the radar, they've put their time in, they've put their hours of recruiting and film study, and then also kind of bounced around a little bit with the NFL, and he's been with Jacksonville as well. Now he, he's going back to college, got the Brady, Joe Brady, that is, mentorship, has the time with Tom Brady, has the work with Nick Saban, and, and now he gets a, a chance to do really nice things with a lot of talent down at LSU and probably help find a quarterback to, to make them uh, high-level competitive again. So what's cool is uh, I reached out to Jay Moore, friend of Jake Pizza's, and also my dear friend Garth Glissman, both guys just couldn't say enough really good things and humble, hardworking. And 
he's a guy that has had to work at everything, right? You think of O'Neill, Nebraska, awesome community. You think of his work at Nebraska as a defensive back, uh, just going through the grind every day. He's applied that to his coaching life. And what's really unique about Pete's is his ability to understand personalities and uh, and also get the best out of kids or pros with his treatment of them. Uh, pretty outgoing, pretty optimistic, pretty energetic. And uh, his resume speaks for itself. So it'll be really fun to watch his continued progression now at LSU, now in the SEC West, now for Coach O down at LSU. And I know Bo's no longer there, and I know Billy Bush is, is not uh, at LSU anymore either. But you still have uh, Mickey Joseph, and I think Corey Raymond's still down there, so still a pretty heavy uh, Nebraska connections. So there's a, a quick update and a, a quick backstory on one of your own, your native Nebraskans that got hired, got bumped, and is now uh, in the SEC West. A, a for sure young coaching name to watch as maybe some jobs open up in the future around the, the college football world. And you've seen NFL uh, folks get tapped, uh, whether it be McVay or a Zach Taylor, as they continue to get elevated. On the recruiting front, what's uh, going on with Avante Dickerson? What's the latest with him? World Herald's got a good story as they reached out to Westside's head man. And right now, it's it's pretty open uh, with recruiting, as in uh, Dickerson wants to go to a place where he can visit campus. And there may be a, a tour set up per the World Herald in January with Minnesota for a general campus tour. But the, the fact that Avante put off his verbal commitment and didn't sign with the early signing period, you would think that's that's all right. And uh, maybe that that allows some, some room for Nebraska to get in there. Uh, Dickerson has not seen Minnesota in person. Nebraska's gotten a lot of big-time talent. Kobe Bretz, of course, scholarship player for Nebraska for this recruiting class out of Westside. Uh, a lot of talented walk-on Westside kids as well. Nebraska did really well, either walk-on or scholarship from the Omaha metro region. Other schools that are interested and mutual interest exists, Boston College, Oregon, and you have Nebraska there as well as uh, Minnesota. So we'll keep you updated on that, but not a ton new other than maybe it's just a general visit here later on this month uh, that's not athletic related. So uh, we'll see if that continues to be the one option for for a guy like Avante Dickerson. If he sticks with Minnesota, if he gets to to go in person, uh, I don't know that – and Avante being a, a Nebraska kid where he knows what the Nebraska weather is like. In Minneapolis, you go up there in January, you're not going to get the sneaky 55-degree day or two that – tends to pop up. I hope that happens in January, right? But uh, there's an update on him. So when we talk attrition here, and Nebraska has been a a program that uh, since the year 2000, this is Brandon Vogel's data. We'll talk with Vogues in an hour about his story. But you just constantly see Nebraska uh, lose kids in the last 21 years. The attrition rate for Nebraska, think of this number, 39%. You're signing 22 kids, 25 kids in a class. Four out of 10 
are gone. Back in 2015, the the average attrition rate in the Big Ten West was 25%. Uh, You look at your Power 5 champs in 2016. Go through the list. That's Oklahoma. That's Stanford. That's Michigan State. That's Clemson. That's Bama. They averaged 21%. So little more than two out of 10 kids in a recruiting class, right? Two out, or four out of the 20, or, or three out of the 24 or 25 you get. Well, with Nebraska, the attrition rate never really got above 35%. But Nebraska's attrition rate has been, it's been a factor. And we'll talk some more about that with Gary Barnett coming up. Your attrition rate at Nebraska football right now for 2020, as we're two weeks into January, not even two weeks into January of 2021, is already at 21.7%. Frost's attrition rate at 48% in 2018. I mean, it, it it's it's a reality. So how does that trickle down? How does that affect your program well it affects your depth it affects your depth of talent and you're you're always scrambling to plug holes you know you look at the nebraska wide receiver position let's just take that for example you look at the recruiting that went on in the wide receiver room and let's just go from 20 2009 2010 ish all the way to, to 2014 who are the kids you were able to get and keep I mean, think about getting a, a Kenny Bell. Think about getting a, a Nanunwa. Think about getting a the Mornay Pearson L. Think about getting an Alonzo Moore. Think about getting a Westerstash, right? Uh, a walk-on in Brandon Riley who spent time in the league, extremely talented player, big and physical. I've listed off some really impressive wideouts. And there's some guys that were super high profile that ended up sticking in the program, Jamal Turner, right? Jamal Turner was supposed to be the next Irving Fryer, and Jamal had some some moments, but not enough of them, if you ask him or if you ask Nebraska fans. And then you look at the receiving room now, right? It's, it's you're waiting, and they've recruited well. You've got a Wandale, but you're waiting on guys to, to stick, first of all, and, and stay. You've got a bets, which is nice. What about... Kids from the 18 or 19 recruiting class at the wide receiver position. You've had some departures. You've had some reaches. You've had some misses. And that's a, that's a, that's a position group where you need it to, to stretch the field. You need the options. you got an Omar Manning. Is he going to be something that's effective eventually in Lincoln, Nebraska? You, you just don't know. And if you, we'll drill down a little bit. But when I think of the attrition position, right, it's been wide receiver. I mean, it's absolutely been wide receiver. It's been quarterback. And that, this quarterback's its own separate little box because if if you get beat out, you go look for a place to play because the trend has been you win the job, you keep the job, you're there for 45 years. But just it, we're, we're seven years removed from a loaded wide receiver room. And Nebraska could get back there with some of the talent they have at wide receiver, but it's been no doubt an issue in a position group that's been a lot of the turnover. But overall, the attrition rate, uh, you need those holes filled in those position groups, and you better pray you, you hit some home runs 
as Barry Alvarez says, with your eraser, i.e. the walk-on. And you get a walk-on to take care of a scholarship spot, great. And uh, that development's big. But just the, the attrition rate percentages are pretty high. 48% for Nebraska 2018, 60% in 2017. Yeah, scroll down on this list. It also topped out uh, pretty remarkably high at 45% in 2011. Uh, that 2011 class, if you remember, chimed in at, I think, 13th or 14th in the country. And some of that was offensive line. Now, Nebraska was able to make up for it with some walk-on kids that came in and played well. If you look at the 2012 season of Spencer Long, you have a kid like Choi, right, that, that, that really performed. We'll dive into some college football topics. The uh, storyteller, Jim Walton, fantastic coach. He's up next on Hale Varsity. And we're back. Fellas, you think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Excited to talk with... Longtime coach at Iowa State and Washington State and assistant for Bob Devaney as well. Quarterback for, for Bob. Gentleman, Jim Walden, the coach, is with us. <laughs> coach, I love catching up with you. Happy New Year. How you doing? Chris, I'm just fine. I couldn't be happier and couldn't be better. And uh, good Lord taking good care of me, and I appreciate that. And uh, so, yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, life is being good, and uh, I've got... No, I hadn't gained too much weight for an old fart, so I'm going all right. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I, I have visited the gym. I just don't put the work in that I need to put in. <laughs> but my, I drive by one occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, I imagine you'll get out and swing the clubs here uh, in the near future, won't you? Oh, yeah, you bet. Uh, we're, we're probably getting ready to do a little golfing in, in, in the not-too-distant future here, kind of get out there and get my hard-driving 18 handicap rolling up down the court. <laughs> well, that is good, man. That'll be good. Well, uh, we'll get into some college football and, and just kind of the climate of college football right now. But want to start off with, with Nebraska. And, and Coach, I want to kind of go back to, to your time at Nebraska as, a, as an assistant under, under Coach Devaney and just, I guess, your guys' blueprint – not only with recruiting, but with development. And, and the Big 8 was, was really tough to navigate through late 60s, yeah. early 70s. A lot of good football teams uh, aside from Nebraska and Oklahoma. I mean, you had Colorado, you had uh, Missouri, you had Missouri. Iowa yeah. State wasn't shabby then. And, and you know, even Kansas State, uh, uh, believe it or not, you know, late 60s was good. But w- when, when you guys got to Lincoln, what was – what was the thought, and, and when you joined Bob's staff, what was kind of his directive to his assistants? How did he help you guys do your job, and in turn, how did you go, I guess, scout to, to make it a, a great situation? Well, you know, when they first got there, um, they inherited a tremendous group of athletes and proceeded to win a bunch of games there in the 61, I think, 60-61 mm-hmm. season, then they did, and they kept that up until they hit a wall about the 67, 68 
season. I think they went 6-4, which what was amazing is after – show you how people get spoiled, Chris. Mm. Now, they hadn't had a winning season in 20 years prior to Bob coming. And then all of a sudden they go 10-0 and or something in his first or second year there. Then they have a couple more good years. And then they had two six and fours. Well, they would have killed for those six and fours. <laughs> Just, you know, a half a dozen years sooner, they would have been Mardi Gras stuff. But uh, there was some grumbling. And so when I showed up in 69, um, there was some tension in the coaching staff in regard to uh, how things weren't going the way they wanted to. And, but I think recruiting is a key because – you look at the, the athletes that were on board in 69, and I think whether it was by luck or by hook or by crook, I don't know how, but I think the combination of that coaching staff either got busy, got out, and got the guys that they felt would be good for Nebraska. And uh, they recruited a great quarterback from, from Wisconsin, a great quarterback from Iowa, and they used those guys they had, and they – I don't know. It's just amazing the athletes that they were able to get and how they performed. And then at the same time, I think they just did a marvelous job, and maybe it was a good era for for a Nebraska athlete uh, to join mm-hmm. up. And at those years, you know, we were getting everybody that could walk and chew double bubble uh, from the state of Nebraska on either scholarship or, in most cases, the if ones we didn't offer would come down and walk on anyway, and then they'd get scholarships. So I think it kind of fell into place, that era. And then after that, you know what went on from 69 through mm-hmm. 70, well, and then all the way through Tom. So for the next 20 years, it was just keep repeating what you've done. And I'll give you a story about repeating. When, when we won the 71 National Championship, we had a big recruiting meeting, and everybody was talking on the coaching staff, was talking about, boy, I'm going to get this kid my area, I'm going to get that guy. And Coach Abanek kind of looked up and squirreled his face like you've seen him do a million times and said, guys, I have a question. I know you're all excited about going out and getting all these high-fluting athletes, but he said, I'd like to ask you a question. What's wrong with the ones we've been getting? Mm -hmm. And so it brought us all back to to the point where let's just go get the guys the same, using the same barometer that we've been using. And that's what happened. Jim Walden's with us, Sale Varsity Radio, longtime coach, Nebraska at Iowa State, of course, Head man there in the Big Eight and at Washington State, some holiday bowls with the Cougs. Let me, you said by hook or by crook, I want to go there for a second. What program was the most difficult to recruit against? And you don't have to get nasty on anybody, yeah. but I'm, I'm just wondering, the recruiting battles in, in, this, in, the, in the 70s, what were those like? Well, a lot of our coaches, you know, Mike Corgan and, and uh, Jim Ross and, and had the Michigan background. Yeah. And we'd always, Bob and his staff had always, even all the way out to Wyoming, they had always worked really well with the Michigan State, with Duffy Doherty and, and whoever was, uh, I don't think it was Bo at that time, I don't know who the head coach might have been, Elliot, but was the head coach at Michigan. And uh, But Bob and, and his staff had always been very good at getting the really good athlete out of, out of Michigan and but when you're at Nebraska instead of Wyoming, you got You don't ask for permission. You're going after their top guys, and so that's what was the thing that helped. That, that Bob's reputation and the coach's reputation in Michigan got us some good players. And uh, uh, when he got Jerry Taggy and and uh, the, I can't think now the defensive back uh, out of I think it was out of Green Bay, and they were two great players out of Wisconsin. So I think. 
if you look at things, who was the toughest? I don't know. I, I just know that when Monty Kiffin went into New Jersey, I never heard him talk about whether anybody was hard to beat on Rutgers. or. Um, and we just controlled Nebraska. We went out. Tom would go to uh, California. Uh, he was in charge of both high school and junior college in California. We were darn lucky. that, And he did a great job of getting guys. Uh, he brought us four great junior college kids out of the, out of California. And I don't think we cross-blades with a lot of guys like they do today. We didn't have that key team that was hard for us to get them. Mm. We didn't recruit Oklahoma, so we didn't have a problem with that. We hardly ever went to Texas. We stayed in Iowa. We stayed in Minnesota. We stayed in the Midwest. And I think that was very profitable for us. Jim Walden's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, uh, you had a chance to watch a little bit of 2020 football, Nebraska deciding not to go to a bowl game. Mm-hmm. They ended the, the season the right way, though, running the football and winning at Rutgers on a cold Friday night. What's your impression uh, of Scott's third season? They're 3-5, and five, and we talk about the fan base and the expectations a lot here, and there's a, a really, really tough schedule in 2021, but – you know, Nebraska's uh, recruited well on paper. There's been some of those guys that have been developed on the defensive side of the ball just waiting for the offense to take off around here. Well, I think everything is is probably the way it ought to be right now. This is. Let me just give you my version. Sure. I think when, when you come into a place like, like Frosty did and your reputation is big and you know the place, your expectations are off the wall. I think the Nebraskans saw what he did at Central Florida. And they had this vision that he would come in and do magic right away at Nebraska. Well, it didn't occur to them that the competition in Central Florida plays 12 weeks of the season is anywhere near the competition that Frosty's going to have to play at Nebraska week after week. Mm. So that had to settle. But here's the good news. And this is from my heart. Uh, When you get everyone in your program, and next year will be his fourth year, they will not be, with the exception of a junior college transfer or somebody, uh, 90% of the guys in the program next year have been with him. He will have sophomores, juniors, and seniors. So he's upper third class will all be guys who have been there before. They know the staff. They know what's expected. They're not going to be fooled by any new terminologies or anything else, unless he has a coaching change, and that's a small thing. I think you're going to see a remarkably different uh, Nebraska team when you start seeing everybody there quietly getting on the same page. The expectations of the players know, uh, the coaches know what to expect from them, and they know what to expect from the coaches. Second thing that is vitally needed at Nebraska, they need their crowd. And I mean that sincerely. There are teams in the country – and I say this all the time. There are some teams can get used to playing in front of, you know, not, not a full house or, or maybe a full house that's not that characteristic. Mm-hmm. But Nebraskans are different. That crowd, they need their crowd. That crowd is, is what can separate you from a three-point loss to a five-point win. And so I, I, look, I think time is good for, for Scott. I think he will have everybody in place. I think hopefully you won't have a coaching change unless there's some coaches that just are not getting it done, and then you got to make a change. And that's that's to the benefit. And so if they, if you have some coaches that are not happy with the way you're doing things, 
encourage them to leave. <laughs> and I say that as nicely as I know how. I had to encourage a couple over the years. And uh, and then get some guys in there that are wide-eyed, bushy-tailed, and ready to roll uh, with the guys they're coaching. And so uh, that's my feelings. I, I think the fourth year that Scott Frost will now understand how tough Purdue is. Mm. Stop looking at you know how good Michigan State's going to be. You know how good Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa. They never change. What you got to learn is how good is Minnesota, how good is Illinois, how mm. good is uh, Rutgers, for goodness sake. And so you have to make sure that you're ready, just like the old days in the Big Eight. You, you, we all knew Oklahoma. Uh, we all knew Missouri was going to be up. Tough. We all knew Colorado, but be careful of Iowa State and Okie State and Kansas. And those are the times you had to be real careful or you'd get your nose blood. A few more minutes. Jim Walden back with us here. We'll uh, have uh, another segment with Coach Walden, longtime assistant for Coach Devaney, a head man at Iowa State and at Washington State. Reminder about buckling up. There's over 1,500 crashes a year in Nebraska involving an impaired driver driving drunk, buzzed or high. Never acceptable, and law enforcement officers are working every day to stop uh, it before it kills uh, or injures someone else. So if you're going to drive, don't drink. And if you do drink, get that designated or sober driver or do a ride share. Uh, A DUI costs you more than you think. This is brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Uh, Another 10 minutes or so with Jim Walden when we come back. Also, Brandon Vogel, the topic of attrition with Nebraska is uh, Vogues does amazing research for Hale Varsity. Great writer. And uh, we'll get in uh, some thoughts with him. Gary Barnett to kick off Hour 2. And then your best bets for the weekend, that double wild card weekend. Danny Burke from Beeson Sports Network, the pride of Chicago. Before we say goodbye, it's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Jim Walden, a couple more minutes with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, I want to dive into to your experience when you're putting a staff together. Uh, you, you took over after uh, long assistant ships at uh, different stops, and you're down in Miami, you were with Monty. I mean, you, you had some some great coaches to learn under, but you also coached a lot of years in, in major power conferences and how did you go about putting your staffs together? What were you looking for when you were interviewing those coaches? Well, the one thing I wanted to do was a lesson I learned from Coach Devaney was make sure I hired at least one high school coach hmm. uh, from the state when I brought my coaches in. I wanted to make sure I had two, at least a couple of guys on my staff that had coached in high school. And if you look back at Coach Devaney's original staff, John Melton, Carl Selmer, Mike Corrigan, uh, Lloyd Eaton, I didn't want They all had one thing in common. They'd all, Jim Ross, they'd all been coaching in high school. And so you say, well, what's that got to do with it? Well, I'll tell you something what it has to do with it. These guys that work with young people, they know how to deal with young people who have parents looking over their shoulder. And so there's a comfort zone of knowing that. And I'm not saying that you can just hire all the guys right out of college and that never been to high school uh, is the only that, that that's the way to go. 
But I'm just saying it doesn't hurt to have some guys on your staff. Larry, I mean, Scott Frost's dad was an extremely fine high school coach. He's the kind of guy I'm talking about. That was first thing I was looking for. And then you always have a thousand people that you know recommending you, Chris, calling you, wanting you to hire some guy that's been on their staff. All you have to do is be real careful of who's recommending you a coach and as far as wine. So I just tried to find guys I thought could communicate, guys that were enthusiastic. And I had coached with two or three of those. Pat Rule, Golden Rule, we called him, was one wonderful coach. But that's kind of how I did it, just word of mouth and then uh, interview them and then some of the guys that I'd coach with. Coach Jim Walden's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, uh, national title game on Monday, Ohio State versus Alabama, Nick Saban, Ryan Day. Of course, Dabo was chirping all last week. Ohio State's got a, a long memory. And man, oh man, did they look incredible. Uh, now you got Saban's daughter uh, going social media. <laughs> so they're running out of bulletin boards, I guess, in Columbus is what I'm saying. But what do you think about Monday night? I think it'll be a good football game. I have to go along with Alabama, but I think if they don't keep their mouths shut, the, the, the margin of, um, of the bookies, the margin of uh, victory is going to get tighter and tighter. Mm. I, I think Ohio State got everybody's uh, attention last week. You know, they'd only played six games. Uh, it wasn't a fair uh, for them to not make the playoffs, and it wasn't fair for some of the others who played 11 games uh, to not complain about it. One thing you you guys have all learned, somebody said, well, Oklahoma didn't have a great year of recruiting. I said, they didn't need one. <laughs> <laughs> so I say the same thing about Ohio State. There's never going to be a time when they don't have good players. And so I wasn't shocked. I really wasn't shocked the way they came out and got after uh, Clemson. And uh, so I, I, it wouldn't shock me, Chris, in the least. If Ohio State were to upset Alabama, I don't think they're going to, but I think it's going to be a great game. Do you kind of look at what Saban's done, and does it continue to wow you, or are you just like, well, he should with the talent he has? How do you kind of view the Alabama program? I think it's all him. He's had so many coaches come and go. If you remember, you probably don't know this, but one of the guys I recruited to Nebraska named Burton Burns, was a running back there at Nebraska, didn't play, was never a great, great player, but a good player, but he's been a fantastic coach. He coached for <laughs> Saban. And he said, Coach, you coached for Nick Saban one year. It's like coaching for anybody else three. <laughs> he's retired now, so I can tell that story. But he, he just said uh, there are a lot of coaches that coach for Nick Saban that find out that there's a lot better places and a lot better guys to work across. So he is a hard worker. So everything has happened at Nebraska since Nick Saban came there. Mm-hmm. Give Nick Saban credit. The athletes that are there is because he drives his coaches to recruit them. The games that they win is because he drives their coaches to, to prepare. Don't start that stuff about, well, if you had those athletes, because the guy that's just leaving to go to Texas is going to find out one thing. They don't have that offensive line. They don't have that wide receivers. They don't have that running back mm. at Texas right now. What's your takeaway with Texas? And we'll throw Auburn in there, too. Be careful the, the changes you make, I guess. Do you, do you look at it that way at all? Yeah, I was a little disappointed in Texas in the fact that they get they you know when you come out a week after the season the regular season and say Tom Herman is not going anywhere and then he goes and beats a tar out of Colorado in a bowl game and the day after or two days after you fire the guy mm. uh, to me I lost a lot of respect not that they care they couldn't care less what Jim Walden thinks but I'm telling you I think I could speak for a lot of coaches former coaches and other people that would say 
Texas lost a lot of respect for a lot of uh, people in in sports because of if you're not going to fire if you're going to fire Herman, don't come out and say you're not going to. And then, for goodness sakes, don't fire him after a successful bowl game. Why is Texas not doing better? Well, number one, they haven't had a decent running back down there in five years, and I don't understand that because it gets back to recruiting. If Tom Herman, one thing, if I'm concerned he didn't do good enough, was find a good running back. And I cannot imagine why in a state like Texas, where Texas is going to get either the first or second choice, no matter who it is, in that state, why you couldn't find a running back to offset and go with that young quarterback they had. Uh, Who knows? Who knows where the hardships were uh, this year? I was adamantly opposed to almost anybody getting fired. You're putting coaches out on the line and putting them through the worst type of situation, Chris. Mm. I can't imagine coaching the way they had to coach this year, not knowing if you're going to play, practicing, not knowing who's going to be at practice, who was there yesterday, who's not here today, and then to have to go through all that and not have people say before the season, all athletes are protected Mm. all athletic directors are protected no matter how much money we lose this year we're not going to fire the ad at nebraska but did you hear one person one athletic director one president come out and say all coaches are protected because they should not be graded on the kind of crap they had to put up with this year did some of them have lousy years yeah there was no worse job of coaching done than at the University of Arizona this year. But I'm just saying, I don't care what, even he didn't deserve to get fired. That's just me. I'm sorry I'm preaching. No, you're good. You're good. Last thought, Coach Campbell, Iowa State, where they're at. You know Ames well. I mean, there's bigger jobs, but he, year five now for Coach Campbell at Iowa State, nine-win season. Yeah. I mean, his yeah. name comes up a lot, but do you think he's 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 long haul happy in, in Ames? I do. I, I think he's a cut from a different cloth. I think he just kind of likes being where he is. I heard the fact that he made a statement that in college football, there's only six or seven jobs that if you're not being interviewed for one of those, why are you even talking to me? And I think someone said, like, if he said, like, if you're not talking to Ohio State or or, uh, Penn State, if you're not talking to Alabama, if you're not talking to uh, Florida or Georgia, if you're not talking to USC, why are you even bothering? If you're not talking to Oklahoma. Mm. And so in his mind, he says, if I go to anywhere else, I've got the same thing I have to do there that I'm doing here. So why not stay here? He's making good money. The people absolutely love him. And everything is productive. And so I, I admire what he's doing, man. And it is not it's not easy to do what he's doing. And he's making it look easy. And I love that. I think he's a tremendous coach. Jim Walden with his coach. Best to you in 2021. We'll get caught up again soon. And thanks for your time. I always love catching up with you. No problem, Chris. Keep up the good work, my friend. Chime in 402-466-ESPN or email the show. Chris at HaleVarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Good hour. Thanks to Jim Walden for stopping by. Gary Barnett's 10 minutes away. Brandon Vogel and uh, Danny Burke. by to Chicago's best bets. So there has been no backtracking from Chase Young right after Washington got postseason clinched. Chase Young's like, bring on Brady. And... 
was that smart? After further review, well, the number two pick isn't backing down from bulletin board material. Chase Young's take, look, man, I play ball. I'm excited to go against the best, the media, your job to stir it up. You know me. I'm excited for every game. Tom Brady, you think I'm not excited to play against the GOAT? You're tripping. I'm not going to apologize for saying I want Tom. No. I want every quarterback I play against. So, Chase Young's been really good for Washington, and you're going to have the uh, Washington football team host the wild card Bucks 11 and 5 7 and 9 last time something like that went down beast mode went beast mode uh, if memory serves so chase young seven and a half sacks a team high four forced fumbles took one back to the house a whole yard and a half inside the uh, shadow of a goal line so the thing about Young that's good is he ranks seventh with a 22.5% pass rush win rate off the edge. That's with ESPN stats and info. And uh, in the last seven games, this guy's gotten stronger as the season's gone on. He's second in the league at almost 27%. Think about that. One out of every four snaps, he's beating the high-paid left tackle that's trying to Hold him, cut him, tackle him. Probably some help from a back or a tight end. So those guys are just different at Ohio State when you look at the Bosa brothers, right? And now you have a Chase Young. I mean, they've done really well. And it's uh, old Coach Larry, the defensive line coach that was at Penn State for, for years that Urban hired away and he's... Stuck at uh, at Ohio State and done really, really well. 466-3776-466-3776. Numbers to get in, 800-825-5865. can email chris at hailvarsity.com. And we invite you to check out the podcast. You catch part of the show, that's awesome. Catch all of the show and different platforms for you to do it. Of course, Damon and Elijah do a great job of posting all of the interviews and content on demand. You can go to ESPN Lincoln, stream us there, download the interview. The full uh, show is put up on the Herd at Media Network and uh, can find that on HaleVarsity.com, also through Herd at. But three platforms to find us and give us a review, give us a rate, give us some feedback. Would love you to do that. And just the uh, extent of, of podcast to choose from with uh, with Herd at Media is incredible. Brandon Vogel's podcast, Greg Smith, Jay Foreman, Jay Moore, more to it. Uh, of course, uh, Aaron Sorensen, great podcast. Jacob Padilla, Damon, ben- Damon Benning team up for a high school podcast. Derek Peterson, his varsity club is tremendous. Uh, and I don't believe I've left anybody out, but it's, it's great. But uh, Spotify, Google Play, and uh, iTunes, where you can find that. We'll be back, Gary Barnett, Hour 2 on the way. Hail Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. 
Thanks for hanging out. Hour two, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr. We welcome in the Hall of Fame coach, Gary Barnett, Northwestern, Colorado. Coach, happy 2021. How are you? I'm fine, Chris. How are you doing in this brand new year? You know, we'll just uh, hope the year gets better already, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not off to a great start. It, it is but, not. Uh, you know. <laughs> That's, uh, but it is what it is. That's that's about right. How's the how's your golf game? We'll start there. Is your golf game off to a a consistent start in 2021? Well, I, I got to tell you, I, for the last 30 days, I have just been jammed up with a million things to do. But today's the first day I was sort of, you know, no problems, no worries, no phone with me, and I increased my network quite a ah, bit. So I just ooh. want you to know it went pretty well. You increased your net worth. It went that well on on the golf course. I, I love hearing that. Gary Barnett's with us. You know, was it the short game? Was it the tee box? Or was it just all, all of all of the shots came together? Oh, I think it was a combination. It was just an incredible competitive spirit that I have that was able to overcome uh, Darth Vader and his guys. So. <laughs> Well, we'll just you can you can reveal who Darth Vader is if you want. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I like. It. Okay, I got to ask you. We, we had a, a fun car talk last spring, and this kind of got my wheels turning. Uh, it's uh, Jordan Burroughs, uh, legendary Olympic gold medalist, uh, just one of the best wrestlers ever, and uh, he's a Nebraskan and. His wife uh, was kind of tweeting back and forth at him. Uh, Jordan, his wife, Lauren, and once upon a time, I guess, Jordan tried to buy his wife a minivan. And she's like, no way am I driving a minivan. So when they go on family trips, they rent one. I I wanted to, did the Barnett crew ever go with the minivan? Have you ever owned a van? I've actually owned two. I owned a minivan and then I owned a camper van. And a minivan... Uh, I passed on to my daughter and my son, and they absolutely hated me for it. Uh, to this day, at Christmas and Thanksgiving, it's the first thing that comes to, to mind is they had to drive a minivan to school. So, uh, but I, and then I had a camper van, which was was really nice. We didn't camp in it. We did. We went camping one time, but that was fun. Uh, we had people next door that had one, so we'd park them next door to each other. The kids could sleep out all night in the, between the two vans. And so, uh, but yeah, we definitely had a minivan, and you know, it's the most productive. It's 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 so practical. It's unbelievable, and the doors now slide back and forth. You don't bang anybody's car up, and you know, it it works. And I think my wife would go get another minivan if, if I brought it up to her. Okay, so this is the high Not school. Me. No, I don't I, want a minivan. No, no, you weren't driving it. But so we had a mom and dad had it was probably early eighties. They had you know a, a van. It wasn't quite the the mid seventies Chevy van, but it was a two version of that for softball trips. It was pre minivan, but w- with your kids. So this was their high school car that they got. Is that what you gave them? I get, it got passed down to him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so was this a, a Datsun, uh, a Honda? I mean, what kind was it? Would they have the woody panels on uh, it? it? It was a Plymouth. It was a Plymouth minivan. So it was a Voyager. So, uh, 
blue. Had you know, it looked like a Woody a little bit on the outside. Okay. It was a classic car. You know, <laughs> they didn't see it that way, but I did. <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, I, I'm glad we can we can talk holiday cheer uh, with with the minivan there. Uh, let's uh, shift gears and get into some college football. And uh, surprised at, at what Ohio State did to Clemson. Yeah, I really was. I, I you know I wish I could say I wasn't, but uh, I. Uh, you know, I, you know when Justin Fields plays the way he did, and taking that hit the way he did, and just come in one more play later and throw a touchdown the way he did. I mean, that dude was tough. That was his a gutty uh, and fine performance that I've seen in all my years. I thought it was spectacular, and that Ohio State team was on a mission. And that's what happens when you go on a mission is you just play at a higher level. And that's why everybody tries to get their teams to play like they're on a mission. But that team was on a mission, and it showed. Gary Barnett's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, did you uh, ever dip into to bulletin board material as far as using it? Oh, yeah. Is the, is the earth round? Well, yeah. okay. <laughs> I, I don't. Absolutely. Okay, okay. I was the king of bulletin board I made up bulletin board material. All right. I'd do anything like that. Well, okay, so said, let's hit. Let's hit Chris, I sent cupcakes. I sent cupcakes to my, one of my high school teams. We just kicked eight, nine, ten starters off for drinking. So we were playing a homecoming game. And I sent them cupcakes from the other team, and they they bought it hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> so yeah, I'll do anything. I'll clean up stuff on the board. Yeah, so that's that's hilarious. Did you ever tell the kids that oh, that was me, the cupcakes? Oh yeah, sure. Just after after you won, I couldn't I couldn't keep it from them, but <laughs> it didn't make any difference. It got it got done what they wanted to get done, and what I wanted to get done. Okay, so I organically uh, with is there a, a a team or a game or a comment that's still in your back pocket that you, you recall? I, I want to hear about well, the the yeah, the college and, level and for sure. My, yeah, I put this in my book, and it was my first year at Iowa. We're playing at Iowa. Uh, you know, I I did not know what I was getting into at Northwestern, and so we traveled up. Iowa, Hayden Fry's the coach. My athletic director is standing outside the locker room to Iowa waiting to get Hayden Fry's autograph. No. <laughs> so Hayden Fry, they're going through this runs up and down, rub it in, and we're walking off the field, and Hayden Fry says to me, I hope I didn't hurt any of your boys, or I hope we didn't hurt any of your boys. And I, that stuck with me. It still sticks with me. It stuck with me the entire time. And when we picked Iowa to go after, we had those quotes up there. And uh, it it became bolt and board material for us. Did you uh, leave Hayden with a lasting comment the last time you guys met at Medfield ever? You know, I had so much respect for Hayden Fry. Um, it was a pleasure to be around him and coach against him and be a part of the same league. So 
Well, there was there was no way I was going to do that, and I don't know. I don't think he meant anything by it, but I took it that way, and of course I may have uh, exaggerated a little bit with our team, but uh, that was the message. What uh, what team in the old Big Twelve was the the king of bulletin board material? I'm sorry, which one? What what team? In the Big 12, was the king a bullet oh. board or shooting their mouth off? Uh, well, um, you know, we just looked for everything. There wasn't anybody necessarily. Uh, Texas, Oklahoma, and Nebraska were at the top. And so that's, that's who we went after, and that's who we wanted to beat. So we didn't have the same sort of – Bill McCartney had started – the rivalry with Nebraska, and I did reinforce that. So I'd have to say it was Nebraska that that I, when I came back as the head coach, I renewed that sort of uh, rivalry as we saw it. I don't know that Nebraska ever saw it, but w- as we saw it, we wanted it to be a rivalry. We saw it that way. We treated it that way. You know, our our scout team practiced at the other end of the field when we played Nebraska. We taped their helmets up, made them white, put an N on them. Uh, we got red practice jerseys for them that week. Uh, we did everything. So Nebraska was was a big deal to Colorado. Bill admitted it that way. Rick Neisel had sort of dropped it. He, he wanted it to be just like every other game. And he hadn't been at Colorado, so he didn't understand it. But it, 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 uh, it upset all the fan base uh, to a degree. And so when I came back, I just renewed it and stepped it up. And so it was, it was Nebraska. That's pretty good stuff on bulletin board material. We'll get to your pick here with Ohio State and Bama. What do you think happens Monday night? Well, I, I think a lot of it in some ways is going to depend on how, uh, how many players uh, that Ohio State has available. How many of their best players do they have available? And I, I think if they're all available, they'll make it a heck of a football game. I think Bama because they've survived shootouts. Um, it's in their DNA. Uh, I think Bama just has a little bit of an advantage in this thing. But if Ohio State's healthy and they didn't shoot the wad against mm-hmm. uh, Clemson, Clemson, yeah, if they didn't waste all that and they're ready to go, and it's hard to tell sometimes, but – Talent-wise, these two teams really match up well. And quarterback-wise, these two teams really match up well. Receiver-wise, you know, both these two teams have outstanding receivers. So, you know, I I think just an edge maybe to Saban and an edge maybe to Alabama, but I I see it if it's equal footing with players that can play, that it, it should be a heck of a game and it should be a lot of points scored. Gary Barnett's with his Hale Varsity Radio. Have you ever done done a conference with, or do you have uh, some acquaintances or friends that have coached with or worked for Nick? Do you know his system or his setup well? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I've got a bunch of bunch of guys that have uh, worked with Nick, uh, and, and Nick and I are actually, uh, you know, we're more than just acquaintances, and we went on Nike trips together. Okay. Right? Uh, I coached against him in the Big Ten at uh, Michigan State. So, um, yeah, you know, Nick is he's just the way he is all the time. That's just who he is. That's his DNA. And he's, he's a serious process-oriented 
do the right thing and do the process. And uh, that's the way he is all the time. He's that way playing golf. We play golf, and you know he's, you know he, he doesn't sit around, jump around, drink, smoke cigars, or drink whiskey. He's a serious guy. So even be it noon ball or or golf with Gary Barnett, he's just locked in. Does he? He's locked in. He's locked in. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. With uh, with Sark heading to Texas, what's your takeaway, not only with the Auburn hire, we haven't talked about this, the Auburn hire, but also the Texas hire and moves? Well, I don't like either one. I don't like the Texas hire just because of the way they did it and, and how they treated Tom. And everybody can say, well, they paid him all this money, but no amount of money, no amount of money can make up for that. And, you know, when you've, when you've let 65 to 150 people go because of money, and you shell out $40 million in one day to change football coaches uh, after you told him that he's your coach, and people, players, parents, recruits thought that. Uh, I think it's the worst thing that could happen to our sport because we're already on the edge with that kind of stuff. We're already unpopular uh, to some degree because of the excess that we have. Mm-hmm. And I think just a blatant example of it. Um, you know, the Auburn hire, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, if, if Gus Malzahn were available, that's who he'd hire because he's the only guy that's beating Saban. Yeah. But he's not, so you're going you to hire somebody that's, you know, I don't know. I, I just, uh, uh, it's not not my favorite hire. And, and I, nothing against uh, uh, the guy from Boise at all, but I just, I just, don't think it's a great hire. That's got to be a hard jump from from one part of the country to to the SEC, wouldn't it be? I would think it is, and uh, you know, I'm, Brian Harrison, I'm sure, is a really good guy, and a good coach, and, and he'll work hard at it. But that's a different animal down there. And uh, you know, I I don't know. I, you need somebody who's who's uh, built to go take on Saban and the rest of the SEC. Now you don't have to take on Saban for long because I don't think he'd be around that long, but. Still, uh, to operate in that SEC, you got to you got to be a little edgy, and uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Gary Barnett's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, Coach. Uh, last thought: as uh, it's great to spend some time with you again. With with Urban, does does he hang out another year in the analyst chair, or do you think he can work some magic and find an NFL landing spot? I know that the salary he's asking for is real high. Well, you know, Urban has the same disease that we all have. And you can sit around and analyze and be on TV and do all that, but it's not like coaching. And it's a drug. It gets to you eventually. You know, what I would advise Urban to do is go take the Jacksonville job, build your own team, choose your own quarterback, build it in what you want, demand control, because the guys that don't make it in that league from colleges it's because they don't have control. And Urban has to have control. That's his nature. And he's going to have to go someplace. And Jacksonville Jacksonville would be the perfect spot where he can seize control, where he can choose his own players. I mean, 11 draft choices mm-hmm. this year, including the first pick in the draft. He's got some good young players there. He can mold that team into what he wants. And they're going to pay him whatever he wants. So, to me, 
me, that's what I do now. That his problem is whether Shelly Byron's going to let him do it. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a personal <laughs> issue that I can't deal with. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Barnett's with us. Coach, have a great weekend. Enjoy some football. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for the time today. All right, Chris. Great being with you. All right. That's pretty funny. I might have to do that. Instead of passing Junior my, uh, my SUV, I'll just go get him a minivan. That's a winner. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Good stuff from Gary Barnett. Uh, check that out. ESPN Lincoln on demand page. ESPNLincoln.com podcast will be up after the show. We welcome in managing editor with HaleVarsity.com and magazine. His podcast, the I-80 podcast. Brandon Vogel with us. His book with John Cook, Dream Like a Champion. Vogues, Happy New Year. What's up, brother? How are you? Hey, Happy New Year to you, too. Doing pretty well, thanks. Did you uh, end up driving a minivan at ever uh, at one point in your life? Go- Gary Barnett, we went minivan discussion, and, and Barney's like, yeah, I, I gave it to my kids. And, and my uh, my cousin, Nader, uh, that was what he was driving, but but he was in college, the old Woody Panels. It was it was pretty sweet. It was comfortable. And it got the Jim Rome show in uh, for all the way from San Antonio. So it was a good thing. So uh, any horror stories with, with your first vehicle or something you uh, you begrudgingly drove? No, um, we were a minivan family at the point where I had a, a brother and a sister. So we expanded to, to three plus my parents. We, we swapped out the Ford Bronco. Uh, which is which was a, a sad day, uh, especially given the the Broncos' resurgence of late. For for the uh, I think it was a Dodge Caravan, uh, something along those lines. And had two of those, so spent a lot of time riding in them. My my first car was a little like '88 Toyota pickup truck uh, that that my cousin owned, uh, and he, he was you know six seven eight years older than me and. It was like his little fun truck, and at some point he's ready to get rid of it. Out in Hemingford, you get a school permit, you start driving at fourteen. <laughs> uh, so my dad's like, "Yeah, you you can drive this." Uh, it was a stick shift, but it was pretty sweet. Had had the roll bars. Ooh. It had instead of the little lights on top where the lights should have been on the roll bar, they were actually outdoor speakers. So, so that was good. Take that out to the lake, and, uh, flip the switch, and put the music on on the outside. So. All in all, not too bad uh, in terms of first car experience. Definitely better than many things. Vogues, uh, so you you were a, in favor of sand and sun back in high school, then, huh? No, I, I still wasn't. Um, I, <laughs> the amount of times that that happened could be uh, counted on on half of one hand, but I think that's what it was designed for. So made it out to the lake once or twice, but that's about it. You were going to get the invite because you had the tunes, man, and or, right. and you're a good dude. So beyond the uh, well, Vogue's got the music covered. Uh, so, well, minivans, Dodge pickups, um, or I should say, Dodge minivans and Toyota pickups. There, there's all this leads into attrition somehow, some way, because you move on from the <laughs> minivan phase, you move on from the sporty little pickup phase, and eventually you got to kind of settle down and, and and develop, right? And your story about the attrition rate with Nebraska is is remarkable. Where Nebraska right now in the last twenty one years, we're talking thirty nine percent, almost four out of ten. 
Is there a position group that has been glaring to you that, that has been just uh, horrific for Nebraska in that time frame or even from a recency standpoint that this is a sore thumb that sticks out? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it kind of flows from, and, and I think, and this is just a theory, like I would need to do hours and hours, really weeks of, of more data compilation to, to come up with what it looks like nationwide. But I think a lot of this comes down to Nebraska has to recruit nationally. It's a lot easier for a guy from Florida to get homesick than it is a guy from Missouri, for example. Um, so, so a lot of the attrition that you see at, at Nebraska kind of tends to, to center around the, the skill positions, you know, where Nebraska more frequently has to, to go out and look for the kind of players that aren't available locally. So, so that's certainly been kind of the leader through, throughout this. Um, and it just kind of, it, it, it stands to reason, you know, uh, back when I wrote that initial story, which was, back in 2016, and then I just kind of updated mm-hmm. the numbers a little bit for, for where Nebraska's at because I think this is going to be a really interesting offseason for all teams, not just Nebraska, but with the eligibility waiver, with transfer portal changes potentially coming. Like I thought it was important to kind of set the, set the baseline for, for where Nebraska has been in terms of attrition. And everything that I've seen, and it's, it's hard to do a nationwide survey of, of even all Power Five conferences, but Nebraska's attrition rate is high. And I think you'd expect it to be high based on the, just the degree to which it has to recruit nationally. And, and, and that's where it's at. You know, in 2016 when I did this, they were, they were last, tied for last with Iowa in, in the Big Ten West, which was a little bit surprising then. Um, in terms of their attrition rate over the previous four seasons. And it's just kind of Nebraska has, has been there really since 2000. And, 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 you know, and some of that comes down to just change, change at the coaching, coaching level too. Um, you know, Bo Pelini got multiple cycles there, but Bill Callahan was here for four years. Mike Riley, Mike Riley was here for three and Frost has only been here for three seasons so far too. So, so that, that contributes as well. Brandon Vogel's with us, HaleVarsity.com and Magazine Managing Editor. His story on the Nebraska attrition rate, HaleVarsity.com. Check that out. I, I started the show off kind of touching on some of your numbers and just the reality. And I look at the wide receiver room, and Nebraska's always going to go after guys that can fit this system and even the the attempt to reload. And you look at that 2014-2015 that era where you had Stanley Morgan, you had JD before that you had Zoe, you had uh, Brandon Riley, you had DeMornay. I mean, uh, Westerkamp. I mean, you had some really Kenny Bell, Anunua. I mean, Nebraska was loaded, was, was loaded with guys that spent time in the league, guys that were high level performers in big 10 play. And then bang, all of a sudden the, the bottom seems to drop out. And you've got some, some area dudes that, and I'm thinking uh, for sure, of, of you know, bets with what they were able to get him involved with. And that can continue to grow. But it's still, you know, a question mark with some of these high-level guys that aren't from around here aside from bets that they've went out to get. Can you keep them? Can you develop them? 
and can you keep recruiting, right? Because, I mean, the receiver positions where I'm at, Wandale obviously has been as good or better than advertised, but overall, the, the wide receiver is what screams attrition to me when I look at Nebraska the last five, six years. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting in, in particular with the wide receiver position. You know, you look at, I mean, well, look at the two teams that are playing for the national title, uh, hopefully on Monday. <laughs> Loaded. I mean, they're they're arguably the two best wide receiver recruiters over the past I don't know five six years, and it it just makes such a difference. That's where the game has gone. Like Ohio State still runs the ball a good bit, and of course Alabama does too. Like you know they've had some some great running backs come through there too, but you just look at the wide receiver talent and and what a difference maker that is. Like. <laughs> And the quarterbacks at Alabama and Ohio State have, of course, been as good as you would expect those those type of programs to recruit at. But it almost doesn't matter who plays quarterback for that. Like, and, and, and I don't know. Maybe I'm hes- I'm a little bit hesitant to say that now that I just said it. But when you, when you have that kind of talent out wide, guys that can just win one on one. It makes a huge, huge difference, particularly in today's football. Nebraska football is always going to be, well, not always, but I think under this coaching staff, is going to be a run-first program, and that's important. You've got to do that in the Big Ten to be consistently successful. But you also need that talent at wide receiver. I guess the encouraging thing is that you know a, a player like Xavier Betts is starting to be kind of produced locally. And that may not have been the case 10, 12, 14 years ago. Like, you didn't have many of those. And the Brandon Rileys um, kind of stick out as, as a little bit of an outlier. But if you can supplement what you, what you can get with guys like that and, and through evaluation kind of recognize what those guys are capable of, I think that's a viable path forward for Nebraska. It's just it's tough. You know, this, this current coaching staff came in knowing they needed to address some needs at wide receiver. And I don't know if you'd say three years in that they've totally been able to do that yet. They've tried, but it just hasn't quite worked out. You're waiting for it to click because they've, they've put the effort and emphasis on getting. They've got to keep, and then they've got to develop. And some of those high-level guys, I look at I look at Betts, and, and his future is really nice. I look at how important Wandale has been and then, you know, you're still waiting on the Omar Manning, whatever his future holds. Uh, and, and really the, the 2018 receiving recruiting class didn't, didn't work. And you tried to go JUCO, and that hasn't worked. And, and you've gotten a couple of grad transfers. You've also uh, lost JD, and I know that's water under the bridge. But the point is, is you, you've, when they've had the guys here, uh, and that's JD and, uh, and Stanley, one-two punch, uh, that's when you've seen the offense thrive. And it, it will thrive again once you can kind of solidify those spots and it, it all works together with the run game. Vogue's uh, got about a minute and a half left before we got to say goodbye. Any feel for you on Monday night? We, we talked to Coach Barnett and Coach Walden about it, and I'd love your thoughts. Uh, this thing going to be a, a classic? This thing going to be Bama comfortably? Or are you just saying, yeah, I'll take the overs, thank you, and, and we'll see where it goes. How are you feeling about Monday? Yeah, yeah, I actually took the unders, um, which I think tells you that I think it can be close for, for a good bit. 
Um, and, and I could be absolutely crazy and totally wrong on that because we both know that, well, everyone knows that these offenses are plenty, plenty capable of, of putting up some points. They're still a little bit. And, you know, I, I was not a person who was like, well, I can't judge Ohio State based on six games. Um, now, now seven games after beating Clemson. But it, it does kind of cloud a little bit of, hey, how much adversity have they faced? Not that Alabama's faced a, a ton more, but just having those extra games under their belt and just being Alabama, frankly, kind of kind of makes me think that this will they'll trade punches for a while, and then I, I would see Alabama pulling away. But it wouldn't be a shock to me if if Ohio State kind of came out, and it, it wouldn't be a shock to me if they won. Mm. Um, you know, and I think there's a little bit of danger here. Like Ohio State put so much into that Clemson game. It was the game. It was the opponent they wanted to play. It was the opponent they wanted to beat. And now you've got a a better one. Can you do it kind of two weeks in a row? So I think all of that points to me to shading towards Alabama. But hopefully it'll be a good close game. And I think both teams are pretty capable of, of making it that way. Brandon Vogel, HaleVarsity.com and Magazine. Vogels will talk Saturday. Thanks for jumping on today. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's get caught up with the pride of Chicago. Danny Burke, Burke's best bets. You hear him across the nation uh, with uh, VEASAN. And, uh, of course, his uh, show in Chicago, Rush Hour, at Danny Burke 5 on Twitter is where you find Danny. Mr. Burke, Happy New Year, dude. How are you? Happy New Year to you as well, Schmitty. I am doing good. Excited for some NFL playoff action. And, of course, we got the college football championship. So uh, a lot of good, interesting angles to kind of delve into from the betting landscape of things. No, we talked on your show New Year's Eve and uh, those New Year's Six Bowl games. We, we made out all right, which was nice. Uh, you were smarter than I was with Cincinnati and, and, and Georgia, but that's usually the case. Uh, I want to go to, to Bama and uh, Ohio State. Eight's the number, eight and a half, some spots, maybe lower in others. What's your uh, initial read here? What are, what are a couple of concerns? And do you like that eight, eight and a half target it's on? You know, it's kind of hard for me to not want to look the way of Ohio State here, right? I mean, we know the concerns with the COVID-related issues and just how dominant Alabama has been. And right now at this point, I can honestly say that I haven't made any bets and I don't have enough confidence, I guess, to pull the trigger on one yet because we've really seen it pretty consistently at this eight spot. So if it ends up going there, if I'm playing anything, I would look to take the points with Ohio State. Now, Alabama is just incredibly dominant, so it's going to be hard to imagine them losing this game. But you got to imagine Ohio State does enough to keep it up with them offensively, and because of it being over the key number of seven, the back door could always be open toward the end of the game. Now, this total is incredibly high at about 75, but I look at that, Schmidt, and I think, look, despite how high it is, there's no way I'm going to be betting and rooting for an under in a matchup between <laughs> these two teams. So, look, if Ohio State comes out like they did against Clemson, this game is going to come down to the wire. But you can't do what you did against Northwestern. Now, Northwestern's kind of an anomaly in the sense that their defense is way better than Alabama's in my mind. I mean, Alabama's had a little bit different of a path to get here uh, than you would say for Northwestern. So, 
I think Ohio State is going to keep up enough. I'm just a little bit afraid that at one point Alabama will pull away. So for that reason, I'm right now I'm hesitant, but would look over in a very small lean to the Buckeyes, but nothing official as of now. You know, you get eight points the way Ohio State's offense is going. You, you have to imagine even if Fields is a bit limited, he's going to gut out. And mm-hmm. uh, despite the, the, the monster shot he took, he kept getting downfield shots. You know, can Sermon's run game uh, be dominant again with that Ohio State offensive line? Bama's really good. But Bama's not vintage, uh, you know, vintage front seven. And, uh, you know, uh, flipping it around, uh, you look at what Bama uh, will, will likely try and do, and that's light up Ohio State because Ohio State's weakness is in the secondary. They're not bad. They're just not, you know, vintage of, of years past with the with the hooker and and um, Latimer types in the secondary. They're, they're future NFL guys, sure, but they're not quite there yet And that instance, there's no Bosa to get after the quarterback either, although uh, I like the points in this, and I think it could be a 38-31 type deal where uh, Ohio State may have to come back to make it closer than it is, but uh, overall, I think Alabama is your outright winner, but Ohio State can for sure, uh, I mean, there's a bulletin board going around, you know, going around thanks to Saban's little girl, <laughs> you know, so the disrespect is still thick with Ohio State in their, their seven-game season so far. Daddy, you got the, the, the double wild card weekend as, you know, Green Bay and, and KC just kind of chill. Uh, what game are you most intrigued by here this, this NFL playoff weekend? Really, the game I'm most intrigued by, just from a number standpoint, is the Ravens and the Titans. Now, I hadn't, I haven't made a bet on this one yet, but I think this is the most fascinating one because the Titans being a home team catching three and a half, so you're over the key number of three. That's just interesting in itself, and I understand why the numbers here because this Tennessee defense has really been an issue all throughout the course of the season. Now, offensively, the Ravens had their issues toward the beginning of the year. But remember, it's looked better because they had a cupcake schedule their last five games. So I think that's playing a little bit of a factor here into Baltimore being a three-and-a-half-point favorite. And the fact that Tennessee barely skated past um, Houston going or to be the division winner. So, look, I, I think if you, this number stays over the key number three, you look toward Tennessee. But more importantly, I think you could tease them up in this spot and get it over the key number of seven with the Titans. But the play that I did make, Schmitty, thus far, I teased down the Bills. I did a six-point teaser, so I brought them from six-and-a-half down to a half. Mm. And the other team I paired it with was Tampa Bay when they were at eight-and-a-half, so brought them down six points to under the key number of three. So then it's just Tampa Bay laying two-and-a-half, the Bills laying a half. Look, the Colts have been so inconsistent, and the Bills are really just an absolute force to be reckoned with as of this point. In terms of Tampa Bay, offensively is where they have the clear advantage. Washington ranks dead last in DVOA offense. I know that defense is great, but you can't be a rookie and chase young and say, I want Tom Brady without having something coming from you from the GOAT. So that's the play that I made for this upcoming weekend thus far. You know, that's really smart because as it sits, Tampa minus nine, that's a lot of points. Tampa Mm -hmm. has not been great against some of the who's who in the NFL, yeah, they have 11 wins. Their offense can get uh, pretty dynamic. Uh, yeah, things could go really well for Tampa, but it's still a road playoff game. And right. you still have the, the history with – and I love Bruce Arians, but, but Arians has not been great in the postseason. Uh, I think they'll, they'll shake that. But, yeah, getting that thing knocked down to under three – 
uh, is is wise. Any faith at all? Got a couple minutes left in the Bears uh, covering that ten against <laughs> New Orleans. Uh, Schmitty, to put it lightly, absolutely not. Okay, well, maybe to cover, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't done anything with the spread, but in terms of this game outright, I just don't see a scenario where the Bears win. I mean, look, as I keep saying, keep trying to harp into every hopeless Bears fan's mind, Mitch Trubisky only looked good because they were playing about five of the worst defenses in the league. You go back up against a competent team in Green Bay, and look what happened. No production offensively. And now you're going up against a way better defense in New Orleans. I know the last time they played, it went to overtime. But trust me, the Saints are out for blood. They're tired of being the team that does well in the regular season and gets screwed in the postseason. They're not going to have another early first-round exit like we saw against Minnesota. The Saints will win this game. If you can get it at 9.5, I typically don't like to do teasers of 7 points. But I'd kind of look at that if you're willing to lay enough to bring the Saints all the way down to 2.5. But with this number at 10, Schmitty, it's hard to lay that much with the Saints. But at the same time, I really don't trust this Bears offense. Uh, The total at 47 is intriguing. The Bears have been going over their total pretty consistently. They've been doing enough offensively to stay within the realm. So I'd maybe look over, if anything, between the spread and the total. But like I said, if you're fortunate to get it at 9.5, maybe look down to tease the Saints, too, because... I'm telling you, the Saints are going to win this game by at least a field goal. That's for sure. Danny Burke with us, the pride of Chicago at Danny Burke five on Twitter with Vison Sports Network. Uh, Danny, about 15 seconds, a quick lean with Seattle or the Rams. The Rams D is incredible. Their offense is not. Yeah, so this line really quick got down to three, and at that point, I think I'd have to lean toward the Seahawks. But now at three and a half, it's a little bit dicey. That Rams defense is really good. But because of the quarterback question up in the air, I think I got to go with Russell Wilson and company. Seattle's not been great uh, offensively. Their defense has come around, and I think Seattle finds a way to advance. Danny Burke is with us. Burke's best bets, and you find Danny on Twitter at Danny Burke 5 You listen to him, can stream him with iHeartMedia. It's where you can find Rush Hour and uh, different spots around the country, of course, uh, 6 to 7 Central. Danny, be good. Thanks for a few minutes. Always appreciate the time, Schmitty. Talk to you again soon. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Thanks for hanging out. Winding down a Thursday. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr, Hail Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Great stuff from Gary Barnett and Brandon Vogel. Danny Burke, all over the best bets. Jim Walton in Hour 1. Get the podcast, HailVarsity.com, the Herdat Media page, and iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. It's been a long time since we've done this. Damon Barr, what's for dinner tonight? Well, 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 for Christmas, a girlfriend got hooked up with the Costco membership. Uh-huh. So we're doing one of those big mac and cheese things. That those are get giant. The They're like, huge trays yeah exactly so that'll feed us for about another four days after tonight do you do any any bacon or pulled pork in it or do you just go old school mac and cheese i, I do enjoy the the bacon and the mac and cheese who I think doesn't it's a great combination still still to this day like the the cut up hot dogs in it like i'm a little do kid okay. it, it's, a, it's a fun treat sometimes no that that works the the old hot dog calls never a bad thing i think i'm air frying it tonight oh yeah gotta get junior to basketball practice he uh, is miraculously feeling better now that his PS5 is just, I don't know, 
part of his desk versus the center of his universe. And uh, yeah, he uh, he pissed us off. So I said, all right. And I did this pretty methodically. Grab the basket. Hand me your headset. Is that it? No. Hand me your controllers. Is that it? No. Need your power strip too. Is that it? No, I need all of your, uh, your 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 power cords. So I've got a whole big old bee's nest of power cords, power strip, controllers, and headset. And his PS5 and his 48 monitors, like he's, who am I thinking? Lex Luthor, uh, just sitting there gathering dust. I'm quite proud of myself. That's a good job right there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I saved him because his mother was going to go down there and with a baseball bat beat the crap out of him. Oh, not that's not what the bat was for in my mind. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about the PS5. Oh, man. you're thinking she was going to go office space on the gear? No, no, she would have she would have swung at him because she's caring and loving like that. Uh but he gets his swing from her, so there'd have been no hits. We're all right. So, yeah. Um, no, good. So, fire up the mac and cheese. Tomorrow, we are loaded up. Bill Dolman, the pride of Fairbury, is back. Rick Pizzo, Big Ten Buffet. And Derek Peterson from Hale Varsity to get us uh, into the weekend. Uh, would love your uh, input and, uh, of course, your subscription uh, to the uh, the podcast, give us a rating, give us some feedback, and get yourself uh, the the post uh, holiday hookup. Of course, with HaleVarsity.com and magazine bundle it. You'll love it. The price points incredible. You can subscribe HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe. Then it gets you taken care of. A long look into the NFL weekend. Not quite sure. How I'm feeling about Seattle. And I know the Rams are all sorts of dinged up. I know it's a home game for Seattle. I know Seattle's defense is playing well. But Seattle's offense has just been off. It's just been off. And they've had a tough schedule down the stretch. Not going to discount that. Maybe sneak peek some early McShay NFL draft stuff tomorrow too. Have a good Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery.